Can we just uh, celebrate Pastor Jedediah and the worship team and the elders, leaders? Such a, just such a, a beautiful and moving moment uh, to be together and receive God's blessing in that. Um, there's this young uh, missionary couple, we'll call them Josh and Jess. I was 22 years old. It was my first year serving in InterVarsity on, on college campuses. And, and this uh, sweet couple, this young family, they were part of what was called IFES, International uh, Fellowship of Evangelical Students. They were serving students on uh, college campuses internationally in different places. And we kind of had like that missionary relationship um, that a number of us staff workers that served in the States were praying for them and caring for them. And, and so uh, they, uh, they came home because uh, they had a, a young family. Their youngest was one years old, uh, contracted a virus. And so they came home to try and address what was going on to figure out. We prayed hard and their littlest one passed away. It was really hard on everyone. And I think that's the, the first time that I can remember really wrestling with what Natalie just called the, the million dollar question, the, the granddaddy question of them all, perhaps. Uh, one that all of us, or groups of questions, you know, I prayed, Lord, such a neat couple, like they, they're young and they're vibrant, they've given their lives for you, they're going after it. Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you answer this question? God, I don't think I'm okay. Like, it's such a, it struck me so hard I was unsure if, like, where to go from there, if you know what I mean. This group of questions, you know, as I talked with other staff and, and family and kind of wrestled through these group, group of questions, like, how can there be a good God and so much evil in the world? How can God be good and allow so much str- struggle and pain. And why doesn't he jump in and, and heal things more often? Jesus, why? Jesus, why? So much pain and hurt in the world. I would guess that most of us, at one level or another, at different times in our lives, we've wrestled with these kind of questions. And in hindsight, you know, at age 22, I realized what was going on that I thought it might be helpful for, to point out is that sometimes tragedy can really, whether unconscious or conscious level, can really challenge our picture of who God is, of how he relates to the world how he allow, what he allows or what he causes. Like sometimes we can be so struck by this tragedy that we can say, I'm not sure if that like squares with who I believe God is. And that can lead us to some really searching and, and difficult 
places. I want to touch on these questions this morning, but before I do, I want to just gently flip the switch on you all because I felt like that's what Jesus did to me 22 years ago. And he said, in essence, I knew that he was going to allow me to journey and it was okay to ask these questions and to wrestle with him. But in hindsight, again, I felt like there was another question that was undergirding my questions and it was this one. Will this question be a barrier to your faith, Eric? Or will it build your faith? Will the asking of this end up getting in the way of your journey towards intimacy, and spiritual formation, and living the life that I've called you? Or will you allow it to be a place of growth? In other words, Eric, are you going to ask this question with a pointed finger at me? Why Jesus? Or are you going to ask the question with an open hand? Why, Jesus? Would you teach me, even, even if I don't get it fully or, or completely, would you help me? Would you meet me? Would you teach me some? Could we ask the question this morning with an open hand? Would you try even if you're used to asking the question with a pointed finger, as some of us are, could we try and open, say, maybe we won't resolve it, especially in the next half hour, but would there be pieces that we could grow in and remember and reflect upon and discuss that would help form and shape how we wrestle with this million-dollar question? If we can do that, let's begin at John chapter 9, and this is a, a moment in the life of, of Jesus where the disciples directly ask him a question about someone's suffering, and he addresses it at least to a certain degree. It says this, this is John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither. This man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I want to encourage you in your KLCs to read the rest of the, 
the chapter and the story and how it unfolds. But I just want to look at this portion. We're going to read a little bit of the end of that. And, and what I want to do is I want to share a few. This question, because it's that million-dollar question, there's a, a few philosophical perspectives that have really helped me in my journey of asking this question that oftentimes when I'm filled with a sense of sorrow, when I'm tempted to ask the question anew with a pointed finger, he reminds me of some of these philosophical perspectives that are helpful. But then I realize that that's not enough, right? Philosophy is not enough in the face of pain and suffering and difficulty. And there's a few I would call relational principles where God meets me in relationship with him and with others that I return to again and again, that hopefully we can hold on, and even though not resolving the million-dollar question, but giving us some handles when we face those moments. The first philosophical um, is a reflection where Jesus is actually challenging a presupposition in his culture. This idea of, in the Jewish culture, they saw a direct correlation between suffering and sin. Notice the question they asked Jesus. They saw the blind man, and they thought, oh, was it his sin, or was it his parents? The question was not whether his blindness from birth was, was related to sin. No, 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 they knew that already. The question was, whose sin was it? that caused this blindness. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't outright refute this. In fact, it's part of the answer. I would say that scripture and our own personal experience does reflect this idea that oftentimes the fruit of our sin is personal suffering that we know, we get it at a deep level, that sometimes not every instance is part what Jesus is saying, that not all suffering is due to sin or personal sin, but we get at some level that a portion of our suffering we have brought on ourselves, that, that it's of our own making. I had a good friend who was raised Catholic, and we've been friends for a while now, and, and he had a lot of animosity towards the faith. And it could have been awkward, me being a pastor, right? But we just kind of didn't talk about that. And one day he finally decided that he would broach the subject, and he said, Eric, do you want to know why I don't believe? I said, yeah, that, that would be great. He said, I just... I can't believe in this horrible world that there's a good God behind it all, right? He asked this group of questions. He said, when I was young, I went to a priest and I asked him and the priest said, free will. He said, that's not satisfactory, so you can't say free will. I, and I was like, Okay, I mean, I get it that that doesn't resolve everything that's still there, but you, you can't just discount at least a portion of it. 
And, and I, I would say that, that, that free will weighs into some of these ideas. Again, not fully satisfactory, but like a, a piece in a puzzle, hold this piece. Would you think about free will as options, right? What were the options that God, the Father, had as creator? Think back to the Genesis story when he created, and he could have created us like the other animals, driven by instinct, right? When we're hungry, we grab something. When we're in heat, we grab someone, right? When, when we do that, people say, you're acting like an animal, right? That's right, animals, they, they don't do that. You know what? God could have done that. He could have just left, right? Animals on the earth. But he decided in his providence that he would create a race, human beings, that were different and you could say were free. Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. That, that they would reflect him in such a way that was different than any of the animals, the giraffes, the hippopotamuses, the, the elephants, that, that there would be an element that we would look different. By the way, no one really knows why in this story Jesus creates mud and wipes it in the guy's eyes, right? That was... I wonder if the guy was like, why did I get the mud and no one else in the story? But it's interesting that perhaps it's pointing us to the creation story. That Jesus, the creator, we're told, right, that Adam and Eve were, were formed out of the dust of the earth, the mud. And so Jesus recreates the eyes as they were originally intended. He heals the eyes, and so they get to work now as God intends. Now, would you think about this idea of freedom? And I would argue that there is a dark side of our freedom, that God, he created us so that we could create like him. But because we're free, we can also choose to destroy. That he created us, that we can show kindness like him. And yet, the dark side of that freedom is that we can be harsh with one another and dismissive and judgmental. He created us to love and show his loving kindness, reflect his loving kindness. And yet, at the same time, because we're free, we can choose to hate. He created us to represent his justice and fairness in the world, and yet at the same time, we can act in injustice. God had a choice. He could have created us like the other animals, or he could have created us free. I'm very happy he created us free. I was thinking of this 
old popular TV show me and the kids used to really like it. It was from uh, the UK. It was called simply Humans. Probably very few of you have seen it. It got discontinued. Only weird folks like me and my kids liked it. And, and so, but it was this idea where they created synthetics and they looked like human beings and they would do all the stuff that human beings didn't want to do. Wouldn't that be great, right? And yet the premise of the, sto- uh, of the show was that the creator found a program to give the synthetics or synths a consciousness. And with a certain program, you had these synthetics essentially these robots that were coming to consciousness. And all of a sudden, you had all of these thousands, millions, and all of a sudden, some of them could contemplate. Some of them could obey or disobey. Some of them could love or hate. And the whole premise of the show is, what in the world is the world going to do with these synthetics that are gaining consciousness all of a sudden? A program, by the way, I don't think it can ever happen because it's a work of God, but all of a sudden their consciousness is there. All of that is to say is that I'm so glad that the Father chose to make us in such a way that we could know him and love him, and choose to be his children, choose to receive his joy, that that he created us in such a way that, that we can enjoy beauty and goodness and art, that we can seek peace and his presence, we can laugh and experience his joy. I'm so glad. Would I be willing to give up all of that To remove all the pain, I'm not so sure. Now, there's another philosophical reflection that I want to bring you to, that Jesus basically instructs us that there are other reasons besides sin that suffering happens. This is the mistake that Job's friends were making. They were saying, Job, you're struggling so much. You must have done something bad. And Job is saying, I'm telling you, I didn't. Can I talk to God? Right? And God corrects Job's friends. In this instance, Jesus says, no, this isn't related to sin. He said the reason that this was allowed, we see that right in the verses, so that the work of God would be displayed in this man's life. That this miracle would point those in his life to God. That even 2,000 years after this story, that we could read that story and we could see a little bit of God's heart and purposes. And this brings us to the philosophical perspective of this, a redemptive purpose, that God is a God that in the midst of our struggle and pain and broken world, that he is bringing a redemptive purpose to all things. In fact, a wonderful scripture, Romans 8.28, worthy of memorization, and we know that in all things, even the, even the junk, even the pain, even the struggle, even the stuff we don't get, God works for the good 
of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. This is a powerful promise. Some of you know that I don't like the phrase, everything happens for a purpose, right? Everything happens for a reason. I really don't like that. Why? Because I think some things happen simply because we live in a fallen world. And yet, the promise of Romans 8.28 is no matter what it is, no matter what result or suffering or pain from this broken world, if we as God's children place it in God's hands, he will work good and redemptive purposes even in the most difficult of circumstances. God promises that as people of faith, We can place all things in his hands. As Pastor Rick Warren says, God never wastes a hurt. He'll use it and work in it. People much smarter than me have argued that this one perspective resolves the the philosophical conundrum of these group of questions. That if God can work, if you can find, even if you can't see, but if you can have the faith that God will work a goodness, a redemptive purpose in the midst of all suffering, then you indeed can have a good God in the midst of a broken world. Pastor Timothy Keller puts it like this. If you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you have at the same moment a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons for allowing it to continue that you can't know. Indeed, you can't have it both ways. I would argue that There's a a silver lining even in suffering. And sometimes we get to see that silver lining today. Sometimes we get to go, oh, yes. Wow, God, thank you for doing that. And sometimes we don't. And I think that's part of life. In fact, that's the, the final philosophical perspective, which is, the idea of mystery. Again, from Job, this is God at the end of the book speaking to Job. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Now, I love this passage for two reasons. The first is, is that it justifies sarcasm. Right? God is like he's using sarcasm to make a point. So sometimes sarcasm can be redemptive, yes? Now the other point is as some of you know, Pastor Rex Schultz used to always say, God is God and we are not. There's just some things. He is holy 
other and part of this journey of faith is recognizing that, is bringing this reverence to life that, that God in his graciousness and mercy allows us to wrestle and ask these difficult questions. But that's, I think, what it means instead of that pointing finger at a one true living God who is wholly other, we say, God, I'm going to trust you even in the midst of when I don't get it. You know, faith is believing in some things that we don't see. I think also inclusive of faith is believing in things that we don't understand all the time. That doesn't mean that faith is inconsistent with our thinking and our reasoning, but there are limits on us finite creatures that we have to say, God, I, maybe this side of glory, I, I just, I, I need to just give it to you and trust that you are good, a good, good father. All right. Those are our three philosophical questions that I think oftentimes when I see tragedy or experience pain, and I enter into an unhealthy whininess that gently the Holy Spirit leads me to some of those thoughts and I remember them in prayer. I remember them. And yet also there's some relational pieces that I think are helpful when, when philosophy and, and deep thinking just isn't enough. It still hurts and I'm still a little bit angry. One of those things I, I would call empathy and the cross. Empathy and the cross. Jesus is not a God who stands outside of our suffering. But only this faith has a one true living God who actually enters in and is alongside us in our suffering. Amen. You remember two weeks ago when we wrestled with the question, why did Jesus have to die and why so brutal? We didn't talk about this, but in the midst of our struggle and the pain... We can say, where was God when this happened? What God, what were you doing? And the ultimate answer to suffering and pain, which only the Christian faith can show, is say the ultimate answer is the cross. He was with us in our suffering. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He gets it. He understands the pain and the struggle and the tears and the sorrow. He doesn't say when we turn to and say, why Jesus? He doesn't say, yeah, it really stinks to be human. Sorry about that but suck it up, buttercup, right? It's one of my wife's favorite phrases, suck it up, buttercup. In these instances, he doesn't say that. He says, I, I get it. Often at funerals, reflect on 
the resurrection of Lazarus, when when Jesus knew that he was about to give glory to God and, and bring Lazarus back to life. And yet Mary was there weeping, and it says Jesus wept with her. He was with her in the pain. He gets our sorrow and our brokenness and sometimes our anger. This is why I love that little word in Scripture of with. Jesus used that word. God used that word a lot. When he was speaking to Moses, he said, Moses, I will be with you. When when Jesus talked about leaving and yet sending the Holy Spirit, he said, he, the Holy Spirit, will be in you and he will be with you. The last words on earth before the ascension, Jesus says, I will be with you to the very ends of the earth. Our Savior empathizes with our pain. He, in that outstretched hand, he holds it. He journeys with us. He even weeps with us. I was just talking about this with Kendra and she was sharing about some of the pain and struggle with some of the, the, the po- population and the people that she serves and the family in her profession. And she was talking about some of those difficult moments. And so I said, Kendra, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> no, I did not say that to her. The thought might have crossed my mind, but I did not say that. No, in fact, what I said was, sweetie, you get to invite Jesus into those difficult moments. We get to invite, he's promised to be with us when we're feeling the pain of this broken world. We get to say, Jesus, help, would you, I I, I need you right now. Would you, would you be with me? Would you? Comfort me, to touch me. Some of the times, the most difficult places in my life that it made no sense and I felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. Sometimes I just had to say, all right, Jesus, would you just be with me? In your word, in a prayer walk. Two weeks ago, we talked about the suffering of Christ and the brutality of of that loss. A week ago, Pastor Jed and I talked about resurrection, and I think that also weighs into how we understand suffering in this broken world. It's eternity and hope. Yet another perspective relates that, that Jesus said this, John 16, in this world you will have trouble. Super important that we remember that scripture. But take heart, I have overcome the world. <laughs> yeah, what? Let's just like sit in that, what Jesus meant when he said, I have overcome 
overcome the world. Every area of brokenness, every pain, anything that we're struggling with, any suffering, he says, yeah, I'll take care of that. I'll heal that. I'll restore that. I'll renew that. Another way to say that is Jesus is essentially saying, love wins. I overcome this pain. You might not see it now, but would you allow eternity to relate? Would you allow eternity and the promise of resurrection and the promise of eternal life, would you allow that to fill your heart with hope even in this difficult moment? Yes? Amen. Thinking of the, the movie, The Shack, I, I bring it up from time to time because there's so many aspects that are intriguing about the movie, The Shack, or the book. I would recommend reading it and seeing the movie, but it's about this main character, Mac, who loses his daughter. She's kidnapped and, and murdered And understandably, he's angry at everyone, including God. And the whole premise of the story is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit invites Mac to the shack. And they walk through different aspects of this really million-dollar question and Mac's question of how could have God allowed this. And there's a moment I cried a couple times during the... No, 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 my wife cried several times during the movie. But, but there's a moment where, where uh, his little girl, <laughs> see, I get choked up just remembering the scene. His little girl is lost, his pain, and then the father shows the little girl playing with Jesus on an open field with other children. And I'm just like, what other faith gives us that input of eternity, that that love wins. Yes, there's pain in the offering. Yes, we will face many struggles, and we won't always get it, and yet Jesus has overcome everything. It was just our, uh, the anniversary of losing the kid's mom. And there's a, a, a big part of me that just mourns for them because they have to be without their mom um, at such a young age. And, and, uh, and it'll never go away, right? It'll always be a part of that. And we talk about it and try and share good memories. And yet, I believe wholeheartedly that by the mercy and the grace of God, she has been healed and restored and in this moment is in the presence of God. And that there is a day that my kids will be with her in eternity. How powerful, significant is that? Finally, I want to read just the end of the story. If you again have your scriptures, he's going to be uh, rejected by the uh, religious leaders. They're trying to disprove that Jesus as a sinner could do a, a miracle and the story doesn't fit with their narrative. So they toss him out of the synagogue. It's interesting, Jesus 
follows up the miracle. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Jesus is so coy. I love it. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Just think it's so beautiful that that Jesus, can you imagine this man's life being born blind and probably begging most of his life and struggling, wondering why God, was it my sin? Was it something I would do? Was it my parents' sin? All of that, and yet experiences this miracle, right? A little mud in the eye. And then gets tossed out by the very community that he was so excited probably to engage. And yet Jesus takes the time to find him. And Jesus does not want to waste the pain and struggle in his life or the miracle in his life. And Jesus wants to bring that back to a place of faith. To bring this man of faith. I want him, I believe he's wanting as we approach with an open hand to build our faith, to build our trust in him, especially in the moments that we don't understand to say, I trust you, Father. Jesus, I trust you. Be with me. There's a a final principle that I guess I wouldn't call a relational principle. I'd call it a little bit more of an action principle. That instead of me only asking this million-dollar question of God, trying to respond with faith, faith and love, that as I grow in my trust, of the Father, as I grow in the, in the companionship and communion with Christ, that he moves me to a place of being a part of the answer, of asking a different question. If I see suffering and see struggle, asking the question, God, would I have just a small role to play in serving your purposes of healing and restoration and kindness and goodness in the world. That brings us to the the end times parable of the sheep and goats when there's two groups of people and he says to the sheep, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the sheep asked, when did we do that, Jesus? When you you did it to the least of these. 
when you did it especially to those who are suffering most, when you did it to those especially in the greatest need, you were being my representatives in this world. You were being my ambassadors. You were being the children of God because you weren't just sitting and asking the question, why Jesus? You were saying, Jesus, are you calling me to help with this circumstance or that? This person that you brought across my path today who's hurting and suffering, is there something that you want me to do in response to that? How beautiful would it be if his church, yes, we get to ask tough questions, Yes, we get to wrestle with questions, but how beautiful if the church wasn't just providing some answers and faith to those difficult questions, but we're also living in response to God's answers. Amen? Let's pray. So I just thought um, before our final worship song, whether we're in the sanctuary here, those watching at home, many of us have that, that particular loss, that pain, that struggle, that confusion, whether it's in our lives, or it can be for someone else. Could we just take a moment to place that before the Lord? Say, Father, we want to entrust this difficult thing, this pain, this sorrow into your hands. Maybe... You say, I, I don't get it, God. I, I don't understand, but I'm going to give it to you. Would you just take a moment between you and the Lord, just place whatever that is in his hands. And then would you just take the opportunity to say, Lord, would you be with me in this circumstance? Would your comforting presence, Holy Spirit, fill my heart and soul? Be with me. Be in me. Would you cry a little bit with me, Jesus? Would you remind me of your love? Would you fill me with hope for eternity and yet comfort 
or the presence. 